We are today wrapping up the book of Acts, and I didn't know when I started this series if I could make it all the way to the end. I mean, uh, 28 chapters, that's a whole lot to keep focused on and to keep going through. We started out with a chapter a week, and we dug deep, and then we realized, oh, we got to end this, so we started doing two chapters a week, but it's been quite a journey. Let me just kind of take you through all that's happened in the book of Acts. Do you know the time frame was only 30 years? From the time, chapter 1, Jesus dies, comes back to life again, gathers his disciples to where we're going today, only 30 years of time, but compacted down for us. It was written by a physician, a man named Dr. Luke, and he said he thoroughly researched, thoroughly researched all the events in the life of Jesus and in the life of the early church. And it, as he started to write this account in the book of Acts of the early days of the church, he began by talking about them and Peter and Paul. But he shifted gears someplace around chapter 17 where he says, we we traveled, we did. He actually joined the story, he actually joined with Paul traveling on his missionary journey. So the things he's writing then were firsthand accounts of what he saw. We have all of that preserved to us today. Isn't that amazing? So Jesus dies, he comes back to life again. He tells his disciples, go into all the world and preach about me, but not yet. Go and wait for a while. Hurry up and wait. Wait until you get power from the Holy Spirit. What does that look like? They had no idea. So they wait and boom, this thing happens, this amazing event where the Holy Spirit falls on each one of them. They're able to speak in unknown languages. There's visible signs of, of like cloven tongues of fire that are in the room and above people's heads. It's remarkable. They go out and talk about Jesus and immediately the church whew, just grows by thousands of people in one day. And then on the story went, persecution, miracles. The church then transitioning from a handful of just Jewish people to other people, Gentiles, folks uh, like many in the room right now, non-Jews, and continues to grow. The big event is the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, this hater of Christians, who becomes a Christian. It's a dramatic story. We read about it uh, on the way to uh, Damascus. He's changed. He changes his name to Paul. He writes many of the letters that are in your Bible, in your New Testament. We've been following his story in the book of Acts. And now he has uh, gone to Jerusalem. He's been arrested. And in Acts chapter 27, he is being taken to Rome on a ship to stand trial for insurrection. So your notes tell you what happens. Acts 27 opens with Paul being taken to Rome to face trial before Caesar. When you would go to Rome on trial, they would just wait to get you on a boat. And the next boat that comes by, it's full. Another boat comes by. We'll take this one. They put you on the boat. A guard goes with you. And you're on your way to Rome to be tried. On the way there, a major storm occurs. It takes the ship that Paul and the other prisoners were on way off course. The sailors give up trying to direct the ship. So bad is the storm. They let it go wherever the winds take it. They can't make it go anywhere. 
And before long, the crew begins throwing cargo overboard, lighten those ships so we don't wreck. They even throw some of the gear into the sea to lighten the ship's load. When the winds die down a little bit, Paul says this to the people on the ship. He says, the ship's going to wreck, but don't worry. Everybody on the ship is going to be saved. An angel of the Lord appeared to me and told me this. After 14 days in the storm, he urges them to eat something. And in their presence, he breaks bread, he eats, encourages them to do the same. Shortly after, the ship runs aground. And the guards on the ship wanted to kill all the prisoners. Because back then, if a prisoner escaped, swam, got away, then the guard would be held responsible for that, and the guard would be given the death penalty if the prisoner escaped. So the guard said, let's kill all the prisoners now so none of them can get away. But the head of them, the commanding officer, said, no, I don't want Paul to be harmed. Big risk, but they took it. The boat wrecks. They go to swim for shore. Some can swim. Some hang on to planks. But all of them make it to shore, just like Paul said, just like the angel had told Paul. They get to an island called Malta. And when they get there, the people on the island treat them so well. They start a fire. They, they, they feed them. And Paul is gathering wood to help with the fire when he reaches into some wood and a, a snake bites him right on the hand. Ah! And all the people on the island see this snake bite Paul and say, Oh, this is a judgment of the gods. He must be a murderer that even though he was spared from the sea, the gods are going to kill him. People were very superstitious, had no idea about the real God. So they're watching Paul until he dies, but he doesn't die. He shakes off the snake and he lives. And so the superstitious people say, well, maybe he wasn't a murderer. He must be a God himself. It was a world that needed to know about the real God. Paul stayed there for a little while, about three months till they could get another boat and while he's there, he just keeps doing the stuff God told him to do. There's a wealthy man named Publius. Uh, he um, comes to talk to Paul. His father has a fever. Paul goes to see the father of this man, Publius, and he heals him. Miracles, preaching, people becoming Christians, all that happens during those three months. And after the three months are over, they put Paul on a new ship, take him to Rome. Watch this video. It's going to describe what probably happened when Paul was first taken into Rome in chapter 27 of Acts. People called me Saul once, a Hebrew of Hebrews, faultless in the eyes of the law. That, that is not the video. But I watched the rebellion growing like a so fire. So could you stop that one for me, Andy? Do we... Did we not download the right video? That's the only video you have? Okay. It was an amazing video. <laughs> I'm telling you. Whoa, what a video. It, it follows Paul in a modern day where he might have gone to the prison, what happened after the prison, shows you probably where in Rome he was taken. All of that happens. We're uh, told that he... Spends time there in a prison. It's a different kind of prison. It's like a rented house, but he has to stay chained all the time to a guard. But he's allowed to receive people who come to visit him. 
and he's allowed to keep talking to them about Jesus. And as a matter of fact, while he's there, he keeps doing what he'd been doing all of his life. He never lets circumstances stop him from continuing to further the kingdom of God. When he was traveling and preaching, it was great. When he's in prison, he keeps talking about Jesus. He won't let the conversation end. But the book of Acts does end. It ends in chapter 28. Luke's about to put down his pen, and he says, and Paul stayed in his own rented house. That was kind of the prison where he's kept under house guard for two years, receiving everybody and nothing hindering him. And then Luke puts down his pen, finishes the book of Acts. It's given to one person to read, to another. It's, it's copied over and over again. And after a while, about the third century, the church says, what are we going to do with this book of Acts? Let's include it in the Bible, part of the New Testament, the historical account of the first 30 years of the church, and we have it today. So it ends with Paul in prison. But that's not the end of the story of Paul or the church. Let me tell you what happens to Paul after the book of Acts ends. And this we get from outside sources. We don't get it from the Bible because Luke stopped right there. So from outside historical sources, we gather what happened. He finally went to trial a short time after the book of Acts ends before Caesar's court, and he's found not guilty. Isn't that great? So what does he do? He goes on another missionary journey, about two years. He, we think he goes to Spain and preaches the gospel and starts churches there. Gloria a Dios. In Spain, he's doing that work today. Then he's captured again. They won't leave him alone. They bring him back to Rome again for another trial. This time, not in a rented apartment chained to a guard this time in something called the Mamertine prison it's hideous it's dark it's cold it's miserable he's kept there and Nero becomes the emperor Nero persecutes all the Christians Nero brings out Paul has him beheaded and killed that's the end of Paul's story on earth but don't feel sorry for Paul. He's doing really well right now, okay? He's doing very, very good. Matter of fact, we get to heaven. If I could see the back of Paul's heaven, uh, head, I'll be excited. Who's that in the front row up there? That's Paul. Wow. Uh, I want to go talk to him later on. I mean, he is doing very, very well. He heard the words, well done. Well done, Paul. And then he was faithful on earth with a little. God's given him probably much to do in heaven today. So it wasn't the end of Paul. It was the end of his earthly story. Like we'll have the end of our earthly story one day, but it wasn't the end of Paul. He's doing very well right now. And by the way, thank you, Paul, for writing all those letters. They've been a great help to me over the years. I appreciate them very much. And we all appreciate very much what you did. Thank you. And it wasn't the end of the story of the church. Remember, it only covered 30 years. So what happens? The church at the end of the book of Acts is in Jerusalem, a little bit up the coast, Syria, some Christians up in a place called modern-day Turkey. There's some over in Greece. It, it, there's some Christians there. But what goes on? Well, the early Christians, the one you read about, Peter, James, Paul, they die. 
but they pass the baton of church leadership to another generation, the second generation. Now think about the second generation of Christians. They never saw Jesus in person. The first did. Peter did. They all knew him. Peter said, you know, I knew him. John said, my hands touched him. But the second generation, they're kind of like us. They never actually saw him in the flesh. They just heard about him from those who were with him. And the Holy Spirit, and this is key, made Jesus alive to them just as if they had walked with him. That's how he does it to us today. I've never seen Jesus in the flesh. I didn't walk with him 2,000 years ago. But he is as real to me as he was to them. How does that work? The Holy Spirit does that. He reveals Christ to us. So that second generation, they got the baton. They went running with it. They passed it to a third generation. And someplace around the third generation of Christian persecution got very intense. And then to a fourth generation, to a fifth, and to a sixth. How well did they do? Today, there are, let me give you the stats, they estimate 2.2 billion, with a B, billion Christians around the world. Think about that. It started with this little group of people hiding, afraid for their life, in a room someplace, afraid the people that killed Jesus are going to kill them, but they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They tell the story, next generation, and now there's 2.2 billion Christians around the world. And that lines up with what Jesus said. Jesus said this to a man named Peter. There was rumors going around about who Jesus was. Some said he was John the Baptist come back to life. Some said he was something else. And so Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you, you are Peter, and on this rock, the rock of what you just said, that I am the Christ, I will build my church. I will do it. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus said, you ought to see my church. <laughs> it's going to rock. It's going to rock the world. I'm going to make sure it does. 2,000 years later, 2.2 billion of us. I think Jesus knew what he was doing. I think he knew how to build his church. Nations have come and gone. Rome, no longer. The next empire, it's gone. All the kingdoms of this world, they come, they go, but the church, these followers of Jesus, you can't kill them, can't kill them all, can't get rid of them, can't stop them, uh, nations can't prevent them, they just keep, they're, they're like gerbils, they just keep multiplying everywhere all around the world. And now the baton has come to us. I got the baton when I was 21 years of age. I was raised in church my whole life, but I didn't become a Christian until I was 21. And when I was 21, I came to know this Jesus. The Holy Spirit revealed him to me just as real as you could possibly imagine. I followed him with all of my heart. I was given the baton by the generation before me. My turn 
to run with it. Many of you are my age, or at least a lot of you are. Uh, you've been running with the baton, but now we're going to pass it to another generation. Hey, you guys over there, here's a baton. I got one for you. Let me look around at younger folks. If I don't look at you long, it doesn't mean that you don't look young. It just means I, 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 I don't know. But, but I'm passing the baton. There it is. Uh, pretty soon. Oh, there you go, Nate, Betty. Uh, oh, uh, Chuck, not to you yet. By the way, Chuck, Chuck's having a birthday or just had one. 80 years of age. Chuck, we are thrilled. Well done with your baton, Chuck. Well done. And you're not done yet, but well done. Baton, baton. Hey, in the back row, there it is. There it is. Take it. Take it and run with it. This church is part of the big church all around the world. And just as the church has rocked the world, can I tell you, you rock. You rock. Thank you for letting the Word of God work in you. I've seen transformation in people's lives in this church as you've opened your heart up to the Word of God. Thank you, Christ Street Fellowship, for your labor and your endurance. Thank you for your faith and your love. Just like you read about it in the life of the early church, I see it right now. I see the faith and love still happening in the church today. Thank you for your partnership in the gospel, for your deciding that you're going to do your part in seeing the gospel go into all the world. Thank you for refreshing the hearts of one another, just like those early disciples did. Thank you for using your spiritual gifts, just like they did, just like they did. Thank you for your passion to keep pursuing spiritual maturity. You know what's happening right now? Acts chapter 29 is being written. It ended at 28, but it didn't really end. They wrote the 29th chapter, and the 29th kept going and going and going, and now it's our turn. And what we do to preach, to love, to share, all of those things make up the next chapter of the church. And there will be another generation after us, I think. And maybe another one after them. I don't know when Jesus is coming back. But every generation has to be faithful to hand off that baton. Did you watch the Olympics? Did you see these guys who are super fast? I've seen them before. And they screw up the baton. <laughs> it's the most amazing thing. Gifted athletes from all over the world. Here they go. And all they got to do is like, you know, run a little bit, reach your hand back and get it. And then, then you go. And I see them drop this thing. And it's just tragic. The church has never dropped the baton. It's passed it from generation to generation. We're going to pass it again one day. And the church, will be the church will give God glory. Jesus will one day return and say, well done. But until then, we're going to keep writing this chapter. Amen? Amen. Worship team, would you return, please? We're going to take communion together. And I did not bring my communion element up with me. So who would like to use your spiritual gifts of walking and, and reaching and look in that front row right there? Do I have a, my communion cup? Thank you so much. Matter of fact, you're going to get on camera. Isn't that exciting? Turn a wave. There you go. <laughs> Very good. Oh.
sometimes I wish I was there that night when Jesus gathered his disciples. And I wish I'd been there in person when he said, this is my body and this is my blood. But through the Holy Spirit, we can experience what Jesus was talking about that now, about that back then, even now, 2,000 years later. On that night when he was betrayed, he took bread. So go ahead and open up your cup. He took bread. And he prayed and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, Take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Lord Jesus, God, there's no greater love than this. Thank you that we have written eyewitness accounts of what happened that night. That you gave the bread what you said and eyewitness accounts of what you did shortly after actually allowing your body to be broken for us and Lord thank you for the Holy Spirit as we take this now we share with millions of other Christians billions now this fellowship, this communion. And we say thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving your life for us. Amen. Let's take that now. Go ahead and open the cup up, please, to get to the juice. And then it's recorded that Jesus took the cup and he said this. This is the new covenant. This is my blood shed for you to establish this, this new agreement. This is done for the remission of sins so you can be forgiven. Jesus died to take away sin. First of all, the penalty of sin. Are you glad for that? As we, we drink this, we're going to remember that the penalty for our sin has been taken away. Wow. But that's not the whole story. His blood was also shed to take away the power of our sin. You know, sin has a power. It had a grip on me. But Jesus died to take away its power. He also died to take away the pollution of sin. We don't have to feel guilty and stained anymore. He died to take away our shame. Lord, we want to thank you that the penalty, the power, and the pollution of sin was removed 
through the blood of Jesus. Oh, overwhelming love. We drink this in remembrance. Holy Spirit, thank you for revealing Christ to us. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for us. Father, thank you for sending your Son for us. We honor you today. And we remember. We remember. And we celebrate. Amen.